Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode is supported by the Being Freelance community. Come and hang out with others who get what it's like. Be inspired, supported, cheered up, cheered on, feel part of something because you're not alone being freelance. Join us at beingfreelance.com. Whether you've been freelancing 20 minutes or 20 years, just click community and I'll see you in there. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter. Audrey Cox. I actually completely quit my job, but I didn't have any paying clients yet, which was very a leap of faith. And I kind of did that on purpose because I was really burnt out and I wanted to take the summer off. I have a very high conversion rate now on my, you know, quote unquote cold emails. They're almost warm emails because a lot of times I've already kind of opened a, a door to discussing things with them, whether it's Instagram DMs or something. Probably the biggest benefit to starting my business was being able to set my own hours and I'd rather work less hours and make less money. More more play, less work if I can. Yes, we're off to the States for Audrey's story this week. That coming up in a moment. Do you know, though, I've just got to tell you, in the Being Freelance community, we do, and I've mentioned it before, uh, a live show called The Freelance Disco. It's like a live podcast, but we're on camera, where I chat to one of the BFFs, Being Freelance Friends from the community about the soundtrack to their freelance life so we chat about the stories they have of being freelance but in amongst it the songs which have inspired them or that they would pick you know when an invoice has been paid or to pick them up when they've been ghosted or whatever it's so much fun um, when we do it live you can watch the replays in the community we have the music videos on as well seriously come join us but i have also now put that as a podcast, it is only on Spotify. The reason it's only on Spotify is because there is a way that you can have Spotify play the tunes in between us chatting. So go to Spotify. Remember, it's Spotify only. Search for The Freelance Disco. It's got the Bing Freelance logo on there. I don't think there's anything else called Freelance Disco. It'll be there. Search on Spotify. Let me know what you think. And if you want to watch the full replays or join in with them live or maybe even be the guest DJ on a future Freelance Disco, get yourself into the community, bingfreelance.com. Okay, let's crack on though. We're off to Maryland in the US to chat to freelance copywriter Audrey Kopp. Hey, Audrey. Hi, so good to be here. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, thank you. Um, So for me, it kind of started with just being really burnt out, actually, at a previous job and career. I actually used to be a zookeeper, and I knew that I probably wouldn't want that job forever just because um, there is kind of an income limit to it. And also you're working a lot of like weekends and holidays. So I kind of knew that wasn't going to be like my forever career, but I had no idea what I wanted to do next. And I actually got hit with an Instagram ad (laughs) that was like, become a freelance copywriter. (laughs) No way. And yeah, um, so I took a online course and um, that kind of launched my career. So up up until that point, and just in case people are going, sorry, did she say zookeeper? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, she did. You don't need to go and check the transcription. How long were you a zookeeper? Yeah, um, I was a zookeeper for eight years, I think. Yeah. Wow. Oh, come on. Look, I'm sorry. I know it's called being freelance, not called being a zookeeper. <laughs> But it's not often you talk to one. What animals did you look after? Um, mostly carnivores. That was kind of my like team specialty. Lions, tigers, cheetahs, 
bears. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Okay, right. But I'm guessing because some people, I don't know, they might be working in uh, project management, let's say, and as, or marketing. And as part of that, they regularly do bits of copywriting. Right. Did you do copywriting as a zookeeper? So it, funnily enough, like when I started the copywriting, I thought, no, I have zero experience. But actually, I had done um, some blogs for the uh-huh. zoo at one point. Um, so I'd been doing a little bit of blog writing. And I guess I had also kind of written some emails for them at some points. But yeah, I, I really had no experience. But what's interesting is actually my original study in uh, college. I studied English and psychology. I was a double major. So you can imagine that kind of gave me actually a really good base um, to become a copywriter. I just didn't actually know copywriting existed. <laughs> so yes. that was pretty wild. Um also, like, lack of education that they didn't even tell me about this career uh, <laughs> after studying English and psychology. But, um, yeah, so when I was kind of searching for new career paths, um, I knew I loved writing. I just had never really known what I could do with it. So you did a course, but, I mean, that's just doing a course. Right. That's, uh, that's not then becoming a freelance copywriter. So yeah, how did you get your first clients? Did you do it while you were still... At the zoo? Yeah. So um, I kind of like built everything. I like learned everything, built my website, like to build a portfolio. I just reached out to um, a couple people I knew and also like a nonprofit and offered to do some free work for them. So I did some emails for one of my friends who has like an art business. And then uh, I wrote a blog for a nonprofit and just kind of built a few pieces that way. And then, yeah, the the course that I took recommended cold email. And that's what I did to get my first clients. Um, I just kind of reached out on on cold email. And yeah, it, it was pretty wild, actually. Um, <laughs> but so to ask then, and I should just clarify, like, when when was this? Um, yeah, so let's see, this was fall of 2020 that I was really like building everything. Um, and then like spring of 2021, I actually like completely quit my job. That was when I like had my portfolio set up, but I didn't have any paying clients yet. (laughs) And I kind of did that on purpose because I was really burnt out and I wanted to take the summer off and travel with my boyfriend at the time. And so, yeah, I quit without having any paying clients, which was very a leap of faith. (laughs) But uh, ended up in the fall, just like really buckling down on the cold emailing and it worked. So, yeah. So what was your approach with the cold emailing? Because often like within the Being Freelance community, people will say, you know, has anybody done cold emailing and tips? And and different people have different ways. So what did you do? Yeah, so it definitely took some like refining the process because when I started, I was writing like really, really personalized emails, but I think I wasn't necessarily hitting the right audience and stuff. I was like probably targeting businesses that were way too small to really hire out copy. And so it took some refinement of like, figuring out what businesses needed a copywriter and being able to target them. And then also just like, I was constantly rewriting my cold email, like template. Um, and yeah, definitely I got faster and faster at it. Um, being able to kind of keep a template, but still make it feel personal. Um, and I did get to where I was sending like 20 a day. And I think that that, like I hear about people doing like really, really personal 
emails versus doing like spray and pray, they call it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it was kind of finding that middle ground, but being able to get those numbers up where I was hitting some volume because it's also about being in the right place at the right time. So yeah, being able to hit that volume was really where I started to like get a lot of client calls and, and consultations and stuff. So you're going for companies who would need a copywriter eventually, but like, what were they like local ones? What, like, what was your... Yeah, uh, combination. So I actually like, I kind of took from my experience of being a zookeeper that um, I really wanted to work with like sustainable brands and stuff. So I was really targeting like specific industries and stuff. And so I targeted a lot of like sustainable e-commerce companies and things. And that actually was uh, one thing that really helped me speed up the process. If anybody's out there doing cold emails, <laughs> um, I was like, would find one business that I thought, oh, I'd really like to work with them. This would be a great business. And then I would just search for other businesses that are really similar to them because there's very few businesses anymore that like exist as the only business that does what they do. Right. Um, so I would like find all the businesses that do what they did. And then I could use almost the same email and like tweak it just a little bit for each one and be able to send that to all of them and could make my emails go further, if that makes sense. And were you tracking them in some way? Yes, I do. I have like a whole spreadsheet on Excel that I like keep up with who I've written when, you know, um, what email I, I sent it to specifically and everything like that. Cause then I do uh, send usually one follow-up. I try not to be, you know, annoying and <laughs> send many, but. Just bumping just this back to the top of your inbox <laughs> yeah. for the eighth time. It is amazing um, though, the, the send, cause for a while I did not send follow-ups and then I finally started fin sending just the one follow-up and my, like, I got so many responses to the follow-up compared really? to just having one. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you, I mean, I don't know, maybe your hit rate was really great, but I'm sitting there thinking when, you know, when you're sending out 20 messages a day, part of that is because a lot of them aren't going to hit. Yeah. So how do you cope with the, I don't know, silence or rejection or is getting a rejection better than silence? I don't know. How I, How was that side of it? Yeah, actually, to me, maybe the rejections were harder to, to stomach. Well, it depends what how they say it, you know, when people <laughs> just kind of respond like, stop messaging me or unsubscribe or something. It's like, oh, man, okay. Um, that one will hit you in the gut a little bit. But I think just getting like some of the the positives also helped balance that out and just knowing and kind of going into it knowing that you're going to get some negatives. Also thinking like, it's not always you. That's the problem. Sometimes they're having a bad day and they're taking it out on you. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I did, I got a lot of positive responses of even people who were rejecting me, but in a positive way saying like, oh, we really liked your email. We just don't really need a copywriter right now. That gave me enough positive reinforcement to be like, okay, I'm doing the right things. I'm not, you know, always annoying people. It's just not the right time for them. And that's okay. I, that's why I need to send so many. <laughs> and so how about the ones who did say yes? So usually I would um, offer to get on like a free consultation call with them. So we would hop on for just like 20 minutes on a Zoom call and talk about like what their needs were and whether I was the right person to fill that or not. And so at the time I was actually like very much a generalist and it was just kind of 
finding what, you know, whether they needed help with blogs or emails. And usually, you know, it was more like they would talk about what their problem was, whether it was like, you know, retention or, or lead generation or any of those things. And then I would be able to help offer a solution with copywriting in some way. <laughs> How quickly did it pick up? Because you'd yeah. quit your job, <laughs> you'd gone traveling. Yeah. How long, how, how did it go? Yeah. Um, well, it was kind of sad at first. <laughs> I was like, actually all summer while I was, um, you know, taking time off and traveling, I was still just working a little bit, you know, some days. And so I was sending emails that whole time, but I was really slow at it. And, I think at the end of the summer, I had written like a hundred emails and I had had some interest and I'd had a call or two, but I had not, didn't have a paying client yet. And then I was like really buckled down. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to make this work. And I sent 200 cold emails within a two week period. And after that, I just had calls like trickling in constantly. I was so busy, like creating proposals and things at that point that I really couldn't keep up that same amount. So that was like a two month period, probably that I was really like onboarding clients and stuff. And by the end of November, I was able to fully support myself with my freelance work. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so definitely worked out. How did you stay motivated during that period? Uh, probably my dwindling bank account is (laughs) really motivating. (laughs) Um, That was probably the biggest motivation. (laughs) But I think also then just having the positive experiences with my first clients too. And, you know, they weren't all 100% positive, of course, when you're figuring out a freelance career, there's going to be some bumps along the way. But um, I had some really good clients at the very beginning who I actually still work with today. So, yeah. Yeah. And so did you know what you were doing? Maybe it was in this course, like in terms of um, the business side of it, of pricing and things like that. Yeah, that um, the course that I took was like really comprehensive in that way. And I feel so lucky that I stumbled on a course that did both the copywriting skills, but also the business side of things. Um, Like they like kind of taught us how to do the cold email process and then also the proposals and the pricing and stuff like everything was included. So that was really, really helpful (laughs) for sure. And a community. I know like that's kind of the core of the being freelance community too, is just having people to go to when you're, you know, in need of bouncing ideas off of people and everything. And um, that was really important to me. Some of the freelancers in there had been doing it for a while and others were brand new. And so it was nice to connect. I even like made friends that we would have like Zoom chats once a week where we would just kind of like hold each other accountable to our goals and talk about what's working and what's not and stuff. So it was really great to have like those kind of other new freelancer friends that were going through the same things I was, but also have that community of experienced freelancers too, that were able to actually answer my questions with experience behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Out of interest, in those cold emails, did it mention that you used to be a zookeeper? Um, some of them did, uh, because yeah, some of them that, especially like in the kind of sustainability conservation niche, um, I thought maybe that was like relevant experience. Um, if, if I emailed a business that didn't really have that, uh, like wasn't in that niche, then I usually didn't mention that. 
I would find it hard not to reply to somebody who said, by the way, <laughs> here's a picture of me feeding a tiger. Okay, so that's a good couple of years of it having picked up speed and and sort of up and running. Yeah. Has has it changed since then? Yeah, it's it's been changing a lot actually. Like I I mean yeah, we talk about going through like periods of change, but I'm like sometimes I just feel like it's all change. Um, and, <laughs> and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um definitely like I said I kind of started as a generalist and then I really it was even like six months into my business that I kind of realized I really wanted to specialize in email. So that was a big shift when I like I rewrote my website and uh, worked on really like projecting that I was going to be an email specialist and not do all of this other, you know, blogs and everything else, especially blogs. I just really wanted to get away from blogs. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so I went through that was probably like a, another six month phase of actually just like making that shift. You know, I still had some blog clients for a little while during that time when I was um, starting to shift all my marketing and, and cold emails or anything over to just being email. Yeah. So that, that was like a big shift. And then it's shifted even again more, um, because I kind of realized <laughs> that I'm not the type of person that can just sit and write all day. <laughs> I have like a lot of other energy. I'm actually an extrovert, which is I think a rare thing for like writers. <laughs> Most writers are introverts. Um, so I really wanted to create some more like pieces of connection into my business and things. And it was funny. It actually, uh, it came up on a call that I was on with a coach that I really admire. And she was talking about like, you know, sometimes there's like something in your business that if you just gave it like 1% more energy, it could turn into something really great. And I was thinking about that because I had started having a lot of calls or a lot of, first off, it was just a lot of like DMs and, <laughs> and personal uh, messages of newer copywriters asking me like how I'd been so successful and, um, or saying things like, I just really want to get into email marketing. How do I, how did you do that? How do I do that? And I'm like, well, that's a really big question. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I ended up like getting on a lot of like coffee chats with them right online, just hopping on for like an hour. And when, when I was on this call and this coach said that, like, you know, if you just put 1% more effort towards something, like what could it turn into? And I was like, you know, I'd been thinking about kind of offering coaching, um, to newer copywriters, but I never felt ready. I never felt like I was like qualified, right. <laughs> or anything like that. And, um, and so I was like, all right, what would my 1% effort be? So I just kind of like slapped up a little sales page and said, I'm offering coaching calls now. And I just kind of like posted it on my social media. And um, I think I said I was going to do like three calls as like kind of a beta price. So I made it pretty cheap. And immediately I had like five people try to book. Um, and that was pretty wow. cool to see that people wanted to pay me to coach them. <laughs> um, I had no idea that I really like had that audience, even though I had people DMing me constantly, I was like, would people really pay me for this? Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was a big shift, um, for me too. When I started offering coaching, it just was like kind of a completely different energy output for me. And I found that really, really valuable to my day to kind of have, like I have writing time, but then I also have that like coaching and connection um, mm. piece of it. And that's been really fun. 
But that came about because you were talking to a coach. Yeah. <laughs> was that like a, you know, uh, a paid coach type relationship or were you in, um, you know, just having coffee with someone? I believe it was just like a single paid workshop type thing. Mm-hmm. I have had paid coaches. Um, actually, that's how I, I came about learning about being freelance and stuff was uh, from Iman Ismail. Um, was, hey. yeah, you know, you know, Iman. Um, so she was one of my coaches. Uh, but I think this, this was just a single workshop. If you've had a few different coaches, what makes you choose a coach? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think for me, it's, it's really a lot of instinct because there are so many coaches out there. Um, but I think they all have very different styles and stuff. And, you know, obviously I'll consume a lot of their content, like if they have podcasts or anything like that and kind of feel like if I can get to know them, um, and decide just based on, you know, whether I think I could almost like if I feel like I could be friends with them. (laughs) I mean, Iman was a little bit of also looking at her business and that she's an email specialist and stuff. So I thought there was a lot to learn from her, um, in terms of, yeah wanting to kind of go in a similar direction that she has uh and then also just really like loving her personality and (laughs) how she goes about teaching content and stuff so that's how you knew that you wanted to add on extra sort of coaching services how did you know that you wanted to niche in email like from all the different things it sounded like maybe you were being turned off blogs (laughs) but liking email like how how was that process yeah um that it and it really started all the way back when i was like building my portfolio it was just kind of you know i knew that these were the different types of copy i can write and when i was doing practices and stuff i knew that i enjoyed writing emails they just came easier i love the kind of informal style um i also hate seo <laughs> It just felt very like rigid and like it cramped my creativity to have to try to fit SEO in. Um, And so doing blogs very much kind of fell into that for me. And it just kind of kept expanding when I, when I kept doing all of these different types of copy, I just really kept loving all the email that I was doing and hating all the blogs. (laughs) Also, I'm sort of reminded of the fact that this story began with you feeling burnt out in your zookeeping job yeah um how have you managed to avoid that this time around yeah I think I think that is part of like the beauty of the online freelancing world and what I love so much about it is that I can just like pivot so much and that's kind of what I've seen with you know with both pivoting into email and then like um and that also came with a shift as well in what types of clients I work with. So I used to work almost exclusively with sustainable e-commerce businesses. And now I actually am working with a lot of like coaches and course creators and um, doing, it's a very different style of email and stuff. Um, But I still have some sustainable e-commerce brands as well that I work with. So I now get more of a mix and I found that I enjoy that. Some people really like doing, you know, only one style or something. And I've found that I do like to like bring in different types of clients or different types of email. Yeah. I think that, um, that's been a big part of like avoiding any kind of burnout again for me is just bringing in new elements whenever I am feeling like if I'm, you know, getting burnt out at all. 
Um, I get really excited about like something fresh and like getting started with something new. So that's also been a part of me building my business is realizing that I actually don't love retainers. I, because I get a lot of energy and excitement out of working with like new clients. So I have, I have one, or I guess I have two retainers that, uh, I absolutely love and adore those clients. They are some of my first clients that I've ever had and they've stayed with me and stuff. And, um, but it's like, I don't want a ton of just retainers that would burn me out. Interesting. So it's less about perhaps how many hours you work and stuff. It's more about what you're feeling about the work. Yeah. I think for me, it really is. I mean, obviously I think anytime you're working, too many hours, <laughs> it's going to burn you out. <laughs> but um, it can very much be like how I'm feeling about the work. And some of that I think too goes into any any kind of creative work. Uh, you know, an email can take me 20 minutes to write or it can take me four hours to write if I'm like having a lot of resistance to it, right? Um, and so having that kind of sense of my own energy and what I'm excited to work on, that can keep me from working long hours. <laughs> Um, because like I've had projects where, yeah, I just really did not feel it. And it took me so much longer to do just because I was like having to force it, you know? Mm. And how about taking time off? You good with that? Yes. I love taking time off. (laughs) That was like one of probably the biggest benefit to starting my business was being able to set my own hours and, and I do not work full time. Like I just... I love working less hours. I'd rather work less hours and make less money than like go, you know, all out and make tons and tons of money. Not saying that you can't do both at the same time, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely prioritize my my hours being shorter working hours and more more play, less work if I can. <laughs> do you work like Monday to Friday, do, or do you? If I if I don't have anything else going on, yes. <laughs> If I want to take a Friday off because I have a friend visiting, I take Friday off. So I do. I I would say I actually, it's something that I've been meaning to start tracking to see like how many hours I actually work because I do take a lot of weekdays off for various things. Um, I travel home. uh, So I live a couple states away from my family. uh, So it's about an eight hour drive. And I found that, yeah, if I'm going to go and visit them, you know, like you can't go for one weekend anyway. So I'll go for usually a whole week or something, but like Fridays and Saturdays, the driving is horrible because there's so much traffic. So I'll drive like on Monday or something and just take Monday off. Great. And then what, and then you might do some work while you're there. Yeah. I might do some work while I'm there for sure. Yeah. Making the most of that flexibility. Yes. Because as you said, you know, animals needed you whatever the day of the week. Yeah. (laughs) They, they didn't care so much about Christmas and Thanksgiving and, yeah. and all of that. Although, actually, were you... The end of your zookeeping career was during COVID, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, actually, that last... Gosh. There was at least a four-month period, I think, that we were... We had a very crazy schedule because basically what they realized was that... Uh, if anybody on a team got sick, we all worked so closely together, then your whole team would have to be quarantined, right? (laughs) And then there would be nobody left to feed the animals. So what they did is they split us into an A team and a B team. And the idea being if one team got sick, the other team could work 
every day until they were out of quarantine. Um, so yeah, we had, uh, we were only working either three or four days a week, like alternating for several months, uh, in the thick of COVID. Yeah. But with the A team and the B team, do you now have a plan in place if you get sick while you're working on projects? That's a very good question. Um, my main plan is that most of my clients are uh, pretty reasonable with that kind of stuff. Um, we try to work ahead and be on a, a schedule that they don't, if I were to get sick for a whole week, it wouldn't impact us because I could just catch up the next week. Um, so that's with like my retainer clients and then one-off projects and stuff. It's happened, I think, once that I got sick and had to delay a project. Um, and they were totally fine with it and really, really nice about it. So I do, you know, I have a lot of uh, freelance copywriter friends. So I think worst case scenario, I would probably subcontract to one of them, get them to at least write, you know, a good portion of it and go back and edit. And that's always kind of been the plan in my, the back of my mind if it came to that. But generally, um, I try not to work like super rushed projects um, and things. And I like to give myself that creative space when I create a timeline for a, um, for a project. So sometimes if I have gotten sick, it just takes up some of my creative space that I tried to allow myself. And then I'm writing on a little bit more of a, a tight schedule, but it still works out. That with Audrey in a moment. If you're not already, come to beingfreelance.com. Click on community and come and join us. Give it a go. There's the virtual co-working has turned out to be so much fun. It's the highlight of my week. Uh, we do it every single Friday. We also do it on the first Monday of the month. We do extra live shows, like I mentioned, with the freelance disco, live Q&As. There's a chat forum so that you can ask questions, celebrate wins. Uh, loads of people finding work or either because they're saying, hey, I've got this thing. Anybody want to do this thing? You know, and they're referring them or they're actually hiring from within the community itself. It's really great. And it would be brilliant to see you there. Go to beingfreelance.com, click on community. If you've got any questions, you know, if you're not quite sure about joining, just drop me a message and I'll be very happy to answer them. But yeah, you're not alone being freelance. It's something I said, I think, on the very first episode of this podcast and it turned out to be very true. I get so many messages from people who have, it's made such a difference to their work in life. So come join us, beingfreelance.com, click on community. All right, let's get back to Audrey. So... Your first clients were all from cold emails, pretty much, right? Yes. What's it like today? So today is mostly repeat clients and referrals. So I have probably this whole year sent like five cold emails. <laughs> um, and now those are reserved for when I come across a business or a client that, or a potential client that I just think would be a really, really ideal client. And it's somebody that, you know, I'd be really excited to work with. And then I am writing like a super, super personalized email. Oftentimes I've already been through part of their funnel because I've maybe bought a product of theirs or um, something like that. And so I, I'm writing like a very, very specific project proposal kind of for them of what I think I could do to help their business. Ah, and I, I like do it. get a much different conversion rate on that. <laughs> I have a very high conversion rate now on my, you know, quote unquote, cold emails. They're almost warm emails because a lot of times I've already kind of opened a, a door to discussing things with them. 
via some, you know, whether it's Instagram DMs or something, I've, I've kind of already like touched base with them and then I'll hit them in their email with something. Amazing. And, but the rest is referral. Is that, do you deliberately seek out referrals or is that just chance? Um, it's been a combination of both. So it's actually the ones that have worked out have mostly been chance. (laughs) Um, it's been like, they, they just thought of somebody and sent them my way. Um, I ha- I do sometimes ask for referrals as well. I do think that it's important to to do that. But honestly, one of the biggest ways that I keep my pipeline full now is actually just sending like a really really simple email when basically I'm I'm usually booked out about 4 weeks now. And uh if I see that like that's starting to get shorter or I don't have somebody coming in in a month's time or something, I'll send out a uh, a very short email to basically all of my previous clients and just say, Hey, you know, just wanted to let you know that I have some availability coming up. I know, you know, some of you have been thinking about projects or something and then, or I'll, uh, it's not usually, I don't say some of you cause usually it's a, to the specific person each, but, um, yeah, I'll just say, you know, if you were thinking about getting on my schedule anytime soon, now would be a good time because you won't have as long of a wait time. Uh, and those emails usually do very well for me getting repeat clients back. I like it. I noticed on your website as well that you have, or I think you have packages and prices, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Have you always done that or is that a, a, a new thing? Um. I'm trying to remember if I think my first website had prices on it as well. Um, And I often kind of do like a range or a starting at price Mm -hmm. because I do custom pricing. So um, pretty much every project I price is a little bit different based on what they need. Um, But yeah, I I did find, I'm trying to think if maybe at the very beginning I didn't have my prices up Um, and that did make it more challenging when people would get on a call and just kind of have no clue what my pricing was going to be. And then I ended up having a lot of proposals get denied because it would be way outside of their price range or what they thought it was going to be. Um, so definitely having my pricing on my website has helped a lot. And then the other thing is that I, uh, and I actually, <laughs> Iman is the one who coached me through this, is getting to the point of talking about pricing on the call. Um, and that has been helpful as well with uh, not, having to do so many proposals that just get rejected or ghosted <laughs> um, is being able to to chat about money on the call and just saying, you know, what what is your budget for this? Because I could, a lot of times I can shift the project a little bit to fit their budget, um, you know, especially with like something like an email sequence. The ideal might be an eight email sequence, but if you have a budget for three emails, that's still better than zero. <laughs> so um, it's kind of made that a lot easier to where I can say, you know, if you had the ideal, this is what I would offer or propose for you. But if this is your budget, here's how we can make it work still. I like it. And that might be on one of your consultation calls, mm-hmm. free consultation calls. And at that point, you know whether it's worth putting together a proposal which takes you time yes yeah because yeah. definitely um when i started out i took a lot of really really small projects and that was not ideal for my time and how you're you know putting together a proposal and an invoice and all and then like getting especially as a copywriter you have to really get to know a business and their voice and everything to be able to write for them so that initial um that first project with a client is actually like 
the hardest work that you're going to do with them. Um, and so I actually also implemented a project minimum for the first project. So I have repeat clients who come back and ask for little things here and there, and I'll do those. But for a, a first client, um, for a long time, I had that minimum at like 500. And now it's actually like a $1,000 project minimum for a very first project with me. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Because you spend so much extra time on that first project to get it up and running. Yes. And usually there's like more edits that first time as well, you know. I'll have like a few editing rounds the first project and then it's like every project after that it seems like there's less and less editing right yeah 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 now Audrey I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what do you have for me yes okay so my first one is I have slept with a cheetah in my bed (laughs) (laughs) the second one is um, I met my fiance because he matched my roommate on a dating app Right. And the third one is uh, when I was 23, I ran away with the circus for a summer. (laughs) I tell you what, let's start with the, you met your fiance. So hang on. So your roommate (laughs) met a bloke on a dating app. So did they go on the date? (laughs) No, they didn't actually. Um, So she saw him and she actually uh, matched him because she thought that he would be a good date for me. Um, but of course, in order to chat together, they had to match each other. So she swiped right and he swiped right on her. And then she started the conversation with like, hey, I think that you should go out with my roommate. Sneaky. Yeah. Did she have a habit of doing that or did she actually hit gold? No, this was the only time. Right. Yeah. yeah. She just found the guy. Wow. <laughs> that is a serious bit of outsourcing you just did just there. <laughs> If it's true. Okay, at the age of 23, you ran away with the circus? Yeah, so I had been doing like zookeeping internships, but I hadn't gotten a real job yet and like a full-time job. So yeah, I was like, what am I going to do this summer for a job? And I ended up uh, getting a gig at the circus and traveled all over the US with the circus for the summer. What were the name of the clowns? See, I didn't work with the clowns very much. I was like the assistant with the lions because I had the um the zookeeper experience. Do they still have lions in the yeah. in the circus? Yeah, they do. Oh my god. I can't remember the last time I saw it in this country that had an animal at all. And you slept with a cheetah in your bed. Now I hope this isn't like a pun on some guy who then ran off with your roommate or something. No. Um, an actual cheater. Yes. Wh- so wh- it- Why? <laughs> How? So it was a cheetah cub. I was a little misleading with that, maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a, uh, a cheetah cub that needed to be hand-raised. Um, her mother rejected her, so she was being hand-raised and, and trained with the, the keeper staff at the zoo. And so we actually had a, a room at my boss's house that had been, like, kind of animal-proofed. <laughs> and there was a, a cot in there, and a keeper would sleep with her every night. Oh, I hope that's true. What was the name of the cheetah cub? Uh, pancake. <laughs> oh, there was a bit of a pause there before you said Pancake. I don't know whether that's true after all. <laughs> I was totally believing that. And to, like, you wouldn't forget the name of the cheetah cub that you shared a bed with. All right. I think the dating app roommate one is true. 
I kind of don't believe the circus only because I didn't think they kind of existed like that. But I don't know. Maybe they do. The cheetah sounded totally true until you didn't know its name. I think if I shared a bed with a cheetah, I would remember its name just like that. A bit like, you know, I don't think you ran away with the circus. That's the lie. That is the lie. Yeah. <laughs> yes! So hang on, though. The cheetah was called Pancake? Yes. Ah. Oh, I didn't even realise there was that much of a pause there. I think I paused because I... Uh... I thought you might not believe the name because it was a pretty silly name. (laughs) I was like, oh, he's going to think this is a (laughs) total lie. Okay, Audrey, I know you've only been freelance a few years, but if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? So, yeah, if I could tell myself one thing, I think it would be um, stop trying to make the perfect decisions. I can be a bit of a perfectionist, and I think you can get really frozen up on making decisions about your business, you know, like when I started, what niche I was going to be in or something like that. And you kind of project like, oh, well, I'm going to be stuck with this for 10 years. (laughs) And that's not true in the online business world. So I think giving yourself the flexibility to just make a decision and try it. And if it was a mistake, you can fix it and you can pivot. And there's just so much freedom and flexibility to not get too caught up in like decision making and not not get that analysis paralysis if you will nice audrey it's been brilliant to chat to you thank you so much go to beingfreelance.com there are links through so that you can find uh audrey online and uh, reach out to her uh, maybe on instagram or wherever you find her uh, but for now audrey thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you steve it's been such a pleasure there goes audrey by the way i checked circuses in the united states don't seem to have wild animals in them anymore Uh, although it is only a very recent thing but that made me feel a bit better also audrey as i mentioned was from maryland and if you're from the uk you'll know about maryland cookies yeah maryland cookies they're a thing so i was chatting to audrey about maryland cookies she had no idea what i was talking about turns out they were invented in the uk in fact in blackpool of all places yeah (laughs) so marketing what a wonderful lie it is just before we go like i mentioned there is a kind of like a spin-off podcast i guess that comes out of the live show the freelance disco that we do in the community it's now available as a podcast with the full music that the guest dj in quotation marks has picked search for the freelance disco on spotify only it's on spotify only because that's how you get to hear the tunes all right i'm out of here as you know i'll be hanging out in the being freelance community be great to see you there too otherwise back with another one of these in a couple of weeks time you have a great week being freelance